give us open hearts. Um, and Lord, you would speak to us, each one of us, uh, whether we feel close to you or far off, whether we feel, Lord, like we're really going for it 100%, or whether we're not quite sure, if we're full of doubts or full of confidence this morning, uh, Lord, that you would just speak to us uh, through these words in Jonah chapter 1. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Two, two things. My, uh, my respect of Dean has gone up at least uh, 500%, because I can no more tell a child to put their coat on than I can scale the Empire State Building frankly, so God bless her. And, uh, and only my son will come up to me in front of all of you and give me his coat on the way out, thinking that I've got you know, plenty of time to put it somewhere. <laughs> bless him. <laughs> we can talk about that over Sunday lunch <laughs> when he gets home. So we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1. If, you, if you've got it open, um, that'd be great. Um, if you've got a church Bible, it's somewhere in there. No, I don't quite know where it is. 927. 927 if you've got a church Bible. Um, but verses may well appear behind me. Um, now, my, my enjoyment of football is well known. You all know that uh, I, I support a quality team from North London. Um, the only quality team from North London, let me put that clear. <laughs> anyway. Um, and I particularly enjoy a World Cup. Uh, and if you don't enjoy football, then you can switch off for the next few minutes. But in 1998, uh, England was a different place. Um, we'd had Euro 96 and Terry Venables and the Christmas tree formation. And uh, two, no, France 98 came along two years later and we began to believe. And, uh, and not just that, the team began to feel they could do something pretty special. And one man in particular held the hopes of the nation on his shoulders. A young man named David Beckham, who uh, was our neighbour until just recently. Uh, I think he left when we came, um, which we try not to take too personally. Um, but there we are. And, uh, and so... He was playing Argentina versus England. It was a good game, great game. He was uh, giving it all and uh, unfortunately he got fouled, knocked over to the floor and in a moment of pure madness, the whole leg went out like that and knocked over, I think it was Simeone or someone like that and, uh, and he was sent off, sent off. Four years went and in that time uh, he was called a stupid boy. Uh, burning effigies were lit above pubs somewhere in Essex. Uh, the press went to town um, on his character but then in 2002, six haircuts later, uh, David Beckham got to play in another game against Argentina with pretty much the same crop of players. And something truly beautiful happened. Just uh, through the match, there was a penalty appeal given. Well, you know what happened next. There was sound at the actual event, by the way. <laughs> oh, there we are. David Beckham puts England in front against Argentina in Sapporo. David Beckham, not surprised, but he's going for power. What a moment for him, straight down the middle, and nobody got in the way. There we what are. a time. For those of you that are interested in football, that's a rubbish penalty, by the way. You never hit it straight down the middle. Um, but he hit it just with enough swerve, uh, enough power. But what was beautiful about that moment, it, it unified the whole country. Even my mother-in-law liked it. And she hates football, and she hates England playing football particularly. And it reminded me that actually it was a beautifully poetic moment. It was a second chance for one man whose earlier mistake had completely ruined four years of his life and his family's life and lots of other things. The whole country savoured this moment where this guy stuck it in the back of the net and he had a second chance. And it really struck me that um, human beings love and desire second chances so much. 
uh, when you get a second chance is actually quite rare. When you've made a mistake in the past or you've done something you shouldn't have done or you've said something to someone or you've broken a relationship or made a terrible mistake, to get a second chance to put it right is actually very rare. To be redefined by what you did next is so rare compared to what you did before. So many people are defined by their pasts, but when you get that second chance to put it right, it is something pretty beautiful. And human beings crave the second chance. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this man Jonah in the Old Testament, and we're going to see again and again and again that God is the God of second chances, that God is the one who, of all the people that we might trust, all the things that we put our hope in, he is the one who offers us a second chance. This morning, it needs saying again that the only true living God, there is only one God, that he is the one who showed himself uniquely through Jesus Christ, his life, death and resurrection, that he is the one who is qualified to offer second chances to people, to be able to be made brand new on the inside. And as we work our way through this story over these next three weeks, and this prophet Jonah, keep in mind, keep that point in mind, that God offered him over and over again a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance to get it right, to rewrite his history in light of his obedience rather than his disobedience. And like him, you and me get offered by God second chances, third chances, fourth chances into double, treble, quadruple figures. One, uh, one, chapter, one verse that I love, Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 19. Some of you already know it. The writer says, I remember my afflictions and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who keep, whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait eagerly for the salvation of the Lord. This morning, remember that there is no place too far that you can stray that God won't offer you a way back from. There is no depth that you can sink too deep that God cannot reach and pick you up from. And there is no dark place that you can hide yourself in that God can't see right into its darkest corner. And that is the message of the book of Jonah. And that is a message for us this week. So let's just think about Jonah for a few minutes. It's a very short book. Um, It's amongst 12 similar books, if you like, um, in the Old Testament. A group of prophetic writings. They're known as the Minor Prophets. Um, and uh, there's a strange name for them. They're not some 80s band from Hull or somewhere. Um, they're actually a, a group of minor prophets called minor prophets simply because they're so short when you compare to Ezekiel and uh, Jeremiah and books like that, which are massive. These are very short, only four chapters in the book of Jonah. So it's referred to as a minor prophet, not minor in importance, but minor in size. He, uh, along with his contemporaries, Haggai, Zephaniah, people like that, were all given words from God to deliver. God spoke to Jonah and the other prophets and their job was to deliver those messages either to Israel directly or to other surrounding nations. What an amazing ministry to have. How amazing would it have been 
to have been an Old Testament prophet, to have heard directly from God and to be able to say to people, this is what God says. Lots of people say to you, this is what God says. And you think, really? Are you sure? But this is what God says. They have that unique ministry in the Old Testament. to say, these are actually the words of God. That's what an Old Testament prophet did. This is a strange story. Uh, some of you are already probably having uh, slightly cynical reservations about the story of Jonah. It's an unusual story. It's unusual in the sense that there are no other prophetic books like it. Every other prophetic book, at least in the 12 minor prophets, are all about the message itself. The prophet gets a message, and then the message is the subject of the book. But in the book of Jonah, the message is important, but the subject is him. He is the subject of this book, his actions, his reactions, his obedience or disobedience. Normally, it's the other way around, but this book is about the man, not really the message. And the story is simple. God says to him, go to Nineveh, tell them they've been wicked and they need to stop or I'm going to destroy them. He hears that from God and he runs the other direction. Um, But he doesn't just run the other direction. Uh, I've run the other direction occasionally. Uh, Normally when the kids want something, I find myself wandering to the toilet and locking the door. Um, Where he was, Nineveh, was about 500 miles uh, to the east. 500 miles to the east. Now he goes down to Joppa and boards a ship for a place called Tarshish, which they reckon was 2,500 miles to the west. So it wasn't just that Jonah went a bit over there to avoid God. He went as far away from God as was probably humanly possible at that particular time. He was as far away from God as he could be. He disobeyed God and runs in the opposite direction. Once on board, God causes this massive storm to erupt. The sailors panic. They cry out to their false gods, who are no gods at all, hoping that God will notice them or gods will notice them. Where's Jonah? He's in the bottom of the ship asleep, having a nap. He's so lost that he can't even recognize when God is shaking his world to bring him back. And so they wake him up and they say, what on earth is the matter with you? Get praying. Maybe your God will hear us and save us. He admits that he's the reason. And after a bit of convincing, they chuck him overboard. For three days and three nights, he uh, lives inside a fish before the fish vomits him onto dry land. That is the words of the Bible, not mine. Uh, Vomits him onto dry ground. He goes to Nineveh. He proclaims God's word. They repent. Jonah gets the hump. And then God speaks to him one final time. And the book finishes. It's a strange book. It's an unusual story. A man getting angry with God. A fish swallowing him. Giant storms and waves. What do we really think about that? But it's an important book because it makes two very important doctrinal statements about God. In chapter 1, verse 9 of Jonah, we read about God, that he is the God of heaven, the one who made, who made the sea and the land. It tells us that God is the creator and the one who is sovereign over all things. That is true today as it was in those days. And in chapter 4, verse 2, we read again about God, that he is um, gracious and compassionate slow to anger, abounding in love. And so Jonah, the book, tells us these two important things, that he is the creator God who is loving and merciful. And actually, um, we're supposed to contrast the character of Jonah with the character of God. Because if you read the story of Jonah, 
you soon realise that actually he's not very nice. He is grumpy, he is disobedient, he is a miserable old so-and-so, frankly. Yet, when you look at God's character in this book, God is the polar opposite of his prophet, Jonah. And it really strikes me that we're supposed to compare these two characters and ask which one is right, which one is correct. And as Christians, if you're a Christian this morning, our characters are supposed to reflect that of the living God. Leviticus and Ephesians both tell us to be perfect as God is perfect. Or die trying, perhaps. What a thing to be told, to be perfect as God is perfect, or holy as God is. That's what God calls you and I to be like. And the reason that matters is because if you're a Christian this morning and you're lazy, or you're overindulgent, or you're bitter, or you're ungracious, people will notice. And they will say to you that immortal phrase, I thought you were a Christian. Which is probably the most terrifying phrase ever. Because you think, I am a Christian. There's a great quote by Mahatma Gandhi. And he apparently said this, I like your Christ. I don't like you Christians. You are so unlike your Christ. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us. Whether we're at work or at family gatherings, on our own, when we welcome new people into church, we're ambassadors for Jesus in how we spend our money, how we spend our time, the words that come out of our mouth. Everything we do as Christians is an advert for the living God. It's either a good advert or a bad advert. There is no in-between. So back to the story of Jonah. How should we see this book? Uh, Did it really happen? Some of you are thinking, no, big fish, come on, it's ridiculous. How can you catch a man and keep him in your stomach for three days and him not suffocate or or dissolve in the acids of the uh, fish's stomach? But was it a historical book? Was Jonah a historical figure? Or was this like a, a parable like Jesus told in the New Testament, a story with a meaning. Well, four very quick things. Um, Jesus himself actually spoke of Jonah uh, as a historical figure. Matthew 12, verse 40, Luke 11, verse 30, he speaks clearly of Jonah as if he lived. Uh, Jonah also features in 2 Kings, uh, chapter 14, verse 25. Hang on, I'll read it to you. Says blah, blah, blah. Uh, the God of Israel spoke through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet of Gath, from, from Gath, sorry. And so he features historically in the book 2 Kings, chapter 14. Also, this book starts in the way that all the other prophetic, historically trustworthy uh, books started. It starts with the phrase in verse 1 the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's how they all start. God's word came to Haggai, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And then finally we get details about his family. If it was made up, if it was a a kind of analogy, you wouldn't have that sort of detail. It's written from a historical perspective. But what about the fish? That's the real question, isn't it? Do you really believe that God caused a fish to swallow him? Surely not. Well, I'll tell you what I think. Um, I think God can do anything. And I think whether you accept the fish as being literal or something else depends on your view of God. 
Just like creation from nothing in Genesis chapter 1, or the resurrection, or the virgin birth, or every miracle Jesus performed, or the parting of the Red Sea. If you have a small view of God, if your God is tiny and doesn't answer prayer and doesn't do amazing things, then the fish is ridiculous. But if your God called something out of nothing at the beginning of everything, if your God parted the waters, if your God roses some from the grave, then the fish is easy. A lack of faith says, surely not. A big faith says, why not? I'm more of the why not Christian than the surely not Christian. I wonder what you are this morning. So let's come back to chapter 1. That's where we are today. We've got this strange event. God calls him to go and preach to Nineveh. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. The next phrase kind of tells us everything we need to know about Jonah. It starts with that word, but, but, Jonah. And actually, verse 3 is to kind of be linked together with verse 17. It says, but Jonah ran away. And at the end of the chapter, when we see all of his disobedience, at the very end, verse 17 says, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow him up. You're meant to contrast those two verses together because Jonah's response to God was to run, but God's response to his disobedience was to show grace. So often in our lives, things go wrong and it's kind of, but Gary ignored him, or but so-and-so did the opposite. But God's kind of however is always to show mercy and grace. This morning you may feel that you've completely turned your back on him, but the Lord provides but the lord shows forgiveness but the lord will show you mercy so he runs away why does he run away from god why does he refuse to deliver this message uh, to the ninevites and um, well verse chapter 4 verse 1 to 3 tells us the answer having gone to nineveh having preached against it they all repent they turn they put sackcloth and ashes on and they ask forgiveness and god lets them off he forgives them and this is what we read about Jonah. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, For it is better for me to die than to live. Oh dear. By the time you get to chapter 4, you think, cut it out. Be happy. God's done what he always does. He's forgiven somebody. Why are you moaning? Why are you grumbling against God? What was his problem? Well, I think it's this. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were a terrible bunch. They were enemies of Israel. And the Ninevites were a warmongering group. And so Jonah, I think felt that God should destroy them. They're Israel's enemies. What? Why are you letting them off? Why are you showing mercy and grace? And so he was offended at God's goodness, and it offended his own self-righteousness. I wonder, it happened in Jesus' day as well, didn't it? He ate with prostitutes and sinners, and the religious were outraged. What right have you got being nice to them? They're scum. Come on, God doesn't like those people. Rubbish. God loves to show mercy to every heart, no matter how bad it might be. I wonder if we're ever the same. Do we see God work in people's lives and we say, really, Lord, them? 
Well, that movement, that Christian movement, how can that lot be doing well? Because it offends our own sense of self-righteousness, our own perspective. So what can we take from this chapter? What can we take from this unusual story of a man being thrown overboard? I think the lesson for us this morning from chapter 1 of Jonah is simply that just like Jonah, God calls each one of us to serve him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Ambassadors of the King of Kings. Think of that. Jesus himself calls us to take up our cross and follow him, be like him, sacrifice ourselves for the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul writes these words. He says, hang on, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what God wants of you and do it. We're called over and over and over in the Bible to be true followers of Jesus Christ, to be ambassadors. Last week we were reminded by Nick of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he calls each one of us to reflect Jesus in our actions and our thoughts. He calls us to preach the gospel. It's not my job just to preach the gospel on a Sunday. And in fact, this isn't preaching the gospel. This is talking to Christians normally. Uh, for the most part. Preaching the gospel was when you tell a non-Christian that Jesus Christ died for them on the cross and rose again, that they can be forgiven and live forever. That's preaching the gospel. This is teaching the gospel, probably. But going out and sharing this message with your family and your friends, that's what all of us are called to do, not just those in Christian ministry. And the tragedy uh, of this story is that God calls him and he resists God's call. And it really teaches us that God calls us to so much as Christians, but we have to respond. And the real challenge for us is that. Do we respond to the call of God on our lives? Do we take up our cross? Are we as close to Jesus as we're told we should be? The tragedy of the modern day church is that many, many Christians have a form of spirituality but deny its power. That many have a faith that never moves past being personal. And that some really, really, really like God, but don't truly love him. Jonah ran away from God's call because it didn't fit in with his understanding, his perspective. He was uncomfortable with what God required of him. Are are you or I running from God this morning? Has the Holy Spirit been prompting you uh, or me to worship him in a way we've not done, in a closer way, to pray more, to grow. There's been an opportunity that's come up to you recently that stirred your heart to serve God in some way, but it frightens you. Do you feel a greater burden to share your faith at work or with your family? That's God calling you, probably. Don't run away and hide from it. Do it, because real growth only comes through service of the living God. I'll tell you a joke. You've heard it before, so you don't have to laugh if you don't want to. A guy um, found himself in the middle of the ocean, uh, fell out of a, a boat that sank. And as he uh, bobbed there in the ocean for a while, he, uh, treading water, he prayed and he said, God, help. And a bit later, a, a, a short time later, a rowing boat came along and the guy said, give me a hand, I'll save you. No, no, God will save me. So off he went. A bit later on, a cruise liner came along and they shouted down and they said, we'll throw down the old, uh, what's it called? Thank you. What's it called? Life boy, that would do. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll save you. 
no, no, God's going to save me. So they went. They've got passengers to feed. And a bit later on, a helicopter flew above him. And a guy came down the winch and said, you know, give me a hand and we'll save you. No, no, God's going to save me. That man died, unsurprisingly. And as he stood before the throne of God in heaven, he asked God one question. Why didn't you answer my prayer? And God said to him, I sent you a rowing boat, an ocean liner, and a helicopter. What more did you want? Thank you for laughing. But isn't it tragic when God speaks and we don't hear? Wouldn't it be tragic if when we got to heaven and we stood before God's throne, he said to us, why didn't you do it? Remember that thing that kept coming to you over and over and over. Why didn't you do it? Remember every time you passed uh, Joan down the road and you kept feeling, telling you going to pray for her. Why didn't you do it? I was going to heal her. I remember that group of people you were going to share your faith with and you didn't do it. Why not? Because they would have been here with you. Wouldn't it be tragic to stand before God and be told, I kept speaking to you and you didn't listen. This could have been different. Your life could have been different. So we learn about ourselves, but we also learn about God uh, in Jonah chapter 1. We learn amazingly that he pursues Jonah, just like Psalm 139 a few weeks ago. Uh, He goes as far away as he can get. And in chapter 5, verse 5, it's almost poetic. We read he had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. It's really sort of poetic language. He's, He's not just far, he's deep. He's as far and deep away from God in darkness as he possibly can be. And yet, in that place of disobedience, God pursues him and he calls him back. John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus was sent by God to pursue the lost, to bring them back. This morning, some of you will probably be feeling as far away from God as you ever have done. You'll feel that you're as dark in much darkness as you ever could have been. Well, God pursues you. God goes after you to bring you home. The second thing we learn about God is that he notices. In verse 6, the sailors cry out, pray so that God will notice. But in verse 1, we already know that God sees everything. Sometimes when things go wrong in our life, we wonder if God has missed it somehow. If God has sort of not seen what's gone on. But that's not true because nothing escapes God's vision. Today, you may be feeling on the ship that's about to sink. Maybe you're worried that God hasn't noticed. He has. He's pursued you there, and he's with you there. And the final thing about God is that he's merciful. I'm not God. You'll realize that by now. Um, If I was, when they threw Jonah overboard, I'd have done that. I shouldn't admit things like that. Um, Because, well, he deserves it, doesn't he? Disobey God. How dare you? Let you drown. But as he bobs in that water, we get that, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. God catches him in his disobedience, the God of second chances. On the way down, he's completely alone, completely broken. Everyone's left him except God. So I want to pray now. We're going to sing a couple of songs just as we finish. Um, in a moment. But I want to respond to this chapter because I believe it's important to think about what we've thought about and actually um, consider our own lives. So if the music group want to come up. 
I'm going to ask you just a few questions, and I want to give you an opportunity um, to stand in response, and then we'll all stand and sing um, our song in a moment. But just think, think this through for a moment. Think about um, the way God called Jonah to share that message with the Ninevites. Just think about that and just take a moment. You may want to shut your eyes. You may want to keep them open. That's fine. But just, just for a moment, just think about your own life. I'll think about mine. Think about your life. Think about the last few years. Think about the last few months or weeks or days. Has God been talking to you? Is there something God's been calling you to do? It might simply be just to know him better. Maybe sermons have been speaking to you or messages you've heard and you feel that God's saying to you, come closer, stop standing on the edge, pick your Bible up every day. Don't wait till Sunday to hear from me. Listen to me every, every day. Maybe God's been calling you to let go of something from your past. Maybe there's things that, that you keep going back to and God said to you time and time again, I've forgotten about it. I've healed you of that. It's gone. Let it go. But you can't let it go because, well, it's too big. It was too big a mistake or it was too big a hurt. Maybe God's calling you to serve him in a new way. Maybe overseas as a missionary or some other way. Maybe that's been in the back of your heart. And you think, no, it's, it doesn't work. I've got a house and a mortgage. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe God's calling you to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe to be baptized. Maybe just to do it all properly. So just take a moment. And just think about that. If you feel that God has called you for things, I'm just going to ask you to stand as a sign between you and him that whatever that call is, that you're just prepared to answer it. So if that's you, just be brave and stand. And we'll all stand in a moment anyway. Father God, we just want to hear your call on our lives. Father God, you call us not just for um, a static faith. You call us, Lord, for a dynamic faith. A faith, Lord, where we get to almost see you face to face. We get to call you our Father. We get to be filled with your spirit, overflowing. We get, Lord, to know your will for our life. Father God, just for those here in this place now, and those that, Lord, perhaps want to and, and can't, Lord, may you just recognize this response. And Lord, make their walk with you different. Make it stronger, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.